0: everybody thanks for tuning into this episode of the heart podcast it's james rudd here the digital media editor at heart today dr andrew perry is taking the reins and is interviewing dr stephanie curtis a physician from the bristol royal infirmary who specializes in caring for women who are pregnant with comorbid aortopathy dr curtis has written a lovely review paper which is called aortopathy in pregnancy everything you need to know and i hope you enjoy the podcast Thank you for meeting with me today, Dr. Stephanie Curtis. May I have you state your name and your title for our listeners?
1: Thanks, Andrew. Uh, My name is Stephanie Curtis. I am a consultant cardiologist at the Bristol Heart Institute in the UK.
0: Brilliant. We are here to discuss uh, aortopathies in pregnancy related to an article that you was recently published in Heart uh, titled Aortopathy in Pregnancy, Yourself and Dr. Lorna Swan were the co-authors of that review. Yeah. And I'm very excited about the discussion. I think there'll be a lot to learn and uh, discuss. Great. Let's, I think it might be helpful to frame the discussion around a case. So here's just a brief introduction to a young woman who's in her early 30s with genetically confirmed Marfan syndrome. Notably her family history is notable for a father who had an aorta replacement prophylactically in his 50s. And she presents for preconception counseling. Her echocardiogram at the clinic visit demonstrates the sinus of Valsalva measurement of being four point three centimeters. So, with that as our background, and thinking about how we counsel and discuss pregnancy with this patient, maybe we can start with discussing how commonly do aortic aneurysms um, occur during pregnancy.
1: So that's a really good question, Andrew. And uh, the answer is, I suppose we don't always know because we don't scan healthy women routinely. Um, In fact, we don't even listen to healthy women's hearts when they're pregnant routinely. Um, But we certainly know how many aortas dissect in pregnancy. And we have studies of uh, most commonly Marfan syndrome um, and some other syndromes such as Louis Dietz syndrome of EDS and so on. And uh, we know that in marfans, there have been many, many studies on this, and probably the the dissection rate is around three to four in 100. Um, And that varies quite quite largely, and people are at very much different risks. We'll probably talk a little bit about this as we go through, but some women are at much higher risk than others. Now, our patient here, well, first of all, I'm delighted she's come for pre-pregnancy counselling for a start, because unfortunately many patients don't, um, and many patients aren't aware that they are at risk, and that's one of the biggest challenges that we have. So with this patient that's come along, she has an aorta that's 43 millimeters. So that is, is quite dilated. And so she would be at much higher risk than someone who had come along who, who didn't have a dilated aorta at all, but had a family history of Marfan's, and that was how the diagnosis had been made. And the other thing to say is that we often think about the family history. So if there's a family history of dissection, we call them a dissecting family and we're more worried about them. Uh, this patient's father had uh, his aorta prophylactically operated on which is great but um he didn't dissect but there may well well be a more distant family history of that and it's really important when we see these patients we take a really detailed extensive family history and and that's something that i have learned a lot from my genetics colleagues how to take a really good family history so we need to know brothers sisters aunts uncles grandparents and and not just if there's a family history of uh, marfans we want to know about sudden death and aortic operations and so on so that's what we'd need to thrash out there, but certainly this patient would be at higher risk um, than some others.
0: So you said that uh, you're glad that she presented for preconception counseling. Is it uh, more common that patients present while you know having been pregnant and then discovering an aneurysm during the pregnancy, or having presented with a dissection? Yeah. Or maybe better said, the question is, what is the most common presentation for these women?
1: So that's a really good question as well. And, and the answer to that is that they often come without a previous diagnosis. So um, many of the papers, when you look through them, the patients were not aware that they had they were at risk to start with. Now, some of them might have known they had Marfan's, but there are several papers that show that probably about two-thirds of women were not aware that they're at risk. And that that is one of the biggest problems that we have. So often when I'm counselling women that have come, I say, well, actually, you're in a very good position because you are aware there's a, there's a risk and we're going to be watching you like a hawk. And so mm-hmm. your risk is actually probably a lot less than three to four in a hundred, even if the aorta is quite big, um, because you'll be in a cardiac center and uh, we will do what we do with, with women that are high risk. So we've had a number of dissections present to our center in the last 20 years or so, and none of them knew that they were at risk. And that's pretty typical, unfortunately.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So mm-hmm. increasing awareness is a really important thing.
0: Okay. Now thinking about our patient what are the general principles that we should consider or be cognizant of when we are counseling our patient about her risk for you know an aortic dissection or a complication related to the aortopathy during her pregnancy
1: so the counselling is a is a big thing really. And every woman who has had her periods effectively needs to be told that this is an issue. And this is something that uh, we often struggle with as adult congenital cardiologists as well. When patients come at 16, 17 and we talk to them about pregnancy with their parents in the room and they get a little bit upset. But the fact is, is that most pregnancies are unplanned. And if women don't know they're at risk, then they are at even higher risk. So I think it needs the seed needs to be planted that. They are high risk by definition, even if they don't have a big aorta. We've been talking about type A dissection, but in fact, type B dissection can occur and it is, it is pretty unpredictable. So it can happen with a completely normal uh, aortic root. So I think they need to be told early that's an issue. And when I first meet women, it's always my parting shot. There's always, you talk about endocarditis with valve patients, you always talk a little bit about pregnancy with any woman of childbearing age and with any cardiac condition, really. And what I usually say to them is, pregnancy is high risk. We will talk about it more in detail when you want to, but just a couple of pointers are. But no woman who's not considering pregnancy wants to talk about epidurals and things like that. It's not on their radar. So when they want to come and talk about it properly, it's a long consultation. I usually write them a four-page letter afterwards about all the different ins and outs. Um, I've been working with the Think Aorta community, the uh, patient awareness charity, about doing some patient information Um, leaflets and things they can take away because (laughs) I get tired of dictating the same four page letter Um, but there are lots of different parts of it Um, the first thing we talk about is is there anything we can do to improve their risk pre-pregnancy so some women have quite a big aorta and I normally we wait until the aorta gets to 50 millimeters before we recommend surgery 45 if they're at high risk or there's a family strip dissection and so on Um, But if a woman is planning pregnancy, it's perfectly acceptable to refer them. And that's within guidelines at 45 millimetres when their sinuses measure 45 millimetres. So if a woman comes along at that stage, so not our example, then we probably ought to think about an operation before. Um, The age of the woman is important because if she comes along at 39 or 40, um, then you haven't got as much time to think about the, the childbearing years and so that comes into account, we've got to make sure they have really a good up-to-date imaging. So there's there's no use coming along saying they're pregnant if they hadn't had an MRI for five years. So um, we get some up-to-date imaging. We look at all the other things. So often they have mitral valve prolapse. We've got to not forget about that. Ventricular function, ventricular impairment can affect Marfan patients, tricuspid valve uh, disease. We're seeing more of as the patients are aging. And the other thing that's important is if we can get a genetic diagnosis We try to because some women, I've had many patients go through pregnancy who have wanted to have pre-implantation genetic diagnosis so they don't have a child with uh, Marfan. So those listeners who aren't aware of this, you can um, essentially create embryos, then test the embryos for the pathogenic variant and only implant the healthy ones. Uh, We don't want twins, so we (laughs) don't want any of that. Um, but but a lot of them go down this route and that can take quite a long time um, and IVF often is not successful so again we want to do that as soon as we can and then I can the woman about her individual risk in the context of all of those different things uh, and then we need to talk about the risk of the fetus inheriting the condition if they've decided to go for the the old-fashioned route um, we would normally get a neonatal uh, review of the patient and the, the baby and then they would go into the pediatric uh, inherited cardiac condition service but they just need to be aware of that and I I find that many patients actually who, who have relatively, um, or should I say not mild marathons, but those who, who feel uh, and other aortopathies who feel that their condition hasn't really affected their life tend not to go for the pre-implantation, but they have to be offered that um, in any case. The other thing we need to think about is their uh, drugs they're taking. So beta blockers can make babies small, but they are relatively safe. Um, but if they're on an ARB, so Losartan or drugs like that, or um, ACE inhibitors and so on, they need to be stopped. They don't have to be stopped pre-pregnancy, but they need to be stopped as soon as the woman knows she's pregnant. And I, it's usually a good uh, good opportunity to talk to women as well about healthy eating and being the right weight and vitamins and things like that. And then I talk to them about the logistics of the care. So they're going to end up coming to the hospital every four weeks for a scan, might even be more if we think that there's increased uh, growth of the aorta. Uh, We talk about baby scanning if they're on a beta blocker, so they're going to need four weekly growth scans from about 26 weeks. And then we talk about the delivery. So there isn't any evidence for this, but we we know that it's not intuitively, it's not a good idea to have a a 12-hour labor with severe pain uh, and then several hours of pushing with the the rebound hypertension and tachycardia that you get with that. So we tend to go for um, an epidural with a... what we call a controlled uh, short active second stage. So you can have a very long passive second stage where the uterine contractions bring the baby's head right down to the um, effectively almost born stage. And then a lift out forceps is what we tend to enforce a passive delivery. So no pain, no pushing. I say to them, it's actually a woman's dream. Um, but a lot of women want to to have the natural experience, so that's quite difficult. And if you can tell them about this early on in their reproductive life, it's it's something then that becomes second nature, and they don't uh, feel so upset about it later on. Uh, and then I tell them that that something that you might not like is that you have to stay in hospital for a week afterwards, or we advise that because we know that with type A dissection, the um the thing that that allows you to live longer is is meeting a surgeon early. So the earlier you get to theater, the better. And I say to them, unless you live across the road from the hospital, you are really better being in the hospital if you have a type A dissection. Um, and we know that the median time for dissection is about six days postpartum. So that's why we suggest that. And, and then we, of course, talk about the follow up afterwards. And then also we explain to them, if as I do with all Marfan's, if you get severe chest pain or any autopathy, um, the kind of thing that you would call an ambulance for then, you need to think this is aortic dissection. And I've come across many women who have had that and not been taken seriously or dissection has not been considered when they've gone to the emergency department. So it's important that the woman's her own advocate for that, really.
0: Okay. Um, There's a number of things in there I'd want to unpack. I guess, first off, in terms of the case that I had suggested here. So, you know, she's relatively young. Her aorta is 43 and there's no family history of dissection. She doesn't have any mitral valve prolapse or regurgitation there. So would that be considered a relatively lower risk pregnancy or are there other features minus the fact that her, you know, connective tissue disorder, Marfan's, puts her at increased risk. So relative to other Marfan's patients, would she be considered a lower risk type of patient?
1: Yeah. I mean, we used to worry about over 40 millimeters. There wasn't really any evidence for that as such, but there is some evidence that up to 45 millimeters is safe and vertical. They're all high risk by definition, but mm. uh, under 45, we wouldn't be desperately concerned um, if it doesn't grow during pregnancy.
0: Okay. And then you mentioned uh, scans every four weeks. And is this a echocardiogram primarily looking at the ascending aorta or are we getting you know cross-sectional imaging with an MRI to to image the entire aorta every four weeks
1: no no just just we'd be lucky in the NHS in this country if we got that um but we don't need that we just need to look at the root primarily that's the bit that dilates mostly in Marfans, providing the rest of the aorta is not dilated of course um so we we just do an echo every four weeks And we have had a couple of cases and I've certainly discussed one, in fact, with colleagues around the UK this week of, of a a patient who wants to become pregnant with a very dilated descending aorta. And of course it's been, it's been recommended that this is not a good idea, but if that were, if that were to happen, then we'd have to do MRIs because we can't see that by echo, but mostly we're talking about the sinuses and the root.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. And then going on to the beta blockers um, use in these patients, um, understanding that they're um, definitely indicated for patients with Marfan syndrome. Do we have any data in specific about the patients who are pregnant and how beta blockers are they less or more or equally effective in preventing aneurysm growth during that time period?
1: We we don't. I mean, we have very little data outside of pregnancy, to be perfectly honest. And um, it's the the event rate is so low. And the time that they're on them is so short that it's just impossible to get that. I think Um, impossible is a word that's not very good to use, I suppose. Uh, There is some ROPAC data. ROEPAC is a European registry of pregnancy, um, which is a sort of mix of patients going in from different places. But the most recent evidence on that, where they looked at 189 women with various types of aortopathies, they didn't find that the beta blockers um, made any difference to the growth of the baby. Um, There were very few events. There were four events, I think it was. So... Um, it, almost impossible to say about whether it made any difference whether they're on them or not, but they showed no difference with growth, but yet yeah, there are many studies showing that beta blockers do affect growth. So I think we're talking very small differences. Um, I tend to put people on beta blockers if possible, um, but I don't get terribly upset if they say they don't tolerate it just because I feel like we don't have great evidence. Um, but if a woman has a very big aorta, then I would be much more keen to try and push it a little bit harder.
0: And then what are the most powerful predictors of a dissection within these patients? What are like the top one, two or three?
1: Well, the the biggest thing is size. There's no doubt about that. I mean, generally speaking, it's age as well, but in pregnant women, it's size and, and the family history. So, I mean, we've had many, many women go through pregnancy with no problems and, um, even ones with slightly larger aortas, but when they get very large, we do get concerned. So, uh, and again, a nasty family history. So we have one family of women, three daughters all have Marfan's. Uh, one of them had surgery during pregnancy because her aorta grew about three millimeters and it was already 43 or 44, something like that. And she and the baby did fine. Um, so it, it's those sorts of women. We had another woman go undergo surgery while well, she, the baby was delivered and then she had surgery who had an aneurysmal root that grew about 10 millimeters. Um, but again, you know, she wasn't someone who was highlighted as being particularly at high risk and there was no family history of our fans. but she did start off with a 40 plus millimeter. So I think for me, um, it's the family history and the uh, the size. The, the other things that are said to put you at risk are, is high blood pressure, but of course we can treat high blood pressure and that's what we would do and keep it very much under control.
0: Okay. And I think, you know, we've, I think we've talked about it without maybe explicitly addressing it. So maybe we'll go there about the timing in which we then refer for um, you know prophylactic aortic repair either in the you know uh, in the preconception area or if there's even time periods during a pregnancy in which we'd recommend um having the surgery repaired uh, at those times. I don't know what what are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I mean I think uh, prophylactically the usual um the usual sizes apart from, I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, if a woman wants to have a baby and she gets to 45 millimetres, it's a reasonable thing to refer. Um, I always discuss with women, you know, it is possible that you might have this operation and then actually you can't get pregnant. So that that is something that can happen to some women. But if you're Marfan's you're 45 millimetres and you're in your 20s 30, or 30s or early 40s, the chances are you're going to need surgery at some point. So it's not an unreasonable thing to do. Um But during pregnancy, I mean, we really don't operate on women during pregnancy unless we're really, really pushed. And sadly, one of the cases we the baby was delivered first out of area, actually, and then came to us for she came to us for an operation. The baby sadly died and the woman was 41, I think. So, you know, these are very difficult decisions and it's often um, it's not something you want to be doing during pregnancy if you don't have to. But, you know, babies don't do well with bypass. There are some things that you can improve, um, normothermia, uh, various things like that. But ultimately, you really don't want to be operating during pregnancy.
0: Sure. Okay. And then I presume for different types of connected tissue disorder, we probably have different thresholds. So different size thresholds for Marfan, you know, patients with Marfan syndrome, others thresholds with Loewy's diet syndrome, maybe others with vascular Ehlers-Danlos and maybe even others with a bicuspid bicuspid aortic valve-related aortopathy?
1: Sure. I mean, we've been talking about Marfan's a lot, haven't we? Because this is the case we started talking about, and that's probably what we see most of, mainly because it's a bit more aggressive. So bicuspid aortopathy, very, very common, but not very aggressive. So we've had many patients go through our center with pretty big aortas, and they don't appear to dissect at the sizes where we'd be worried about marfans. So and um, that's not really, I think, a major issue. We did a small study just showing most of the issues with our bicuspid aortas are actually the valves. The valves become a problem. Um, and I've had a couple of patients go through with a 40 to f- 45 to 50 millimeter aorta. And during the time their, their reproductive life, they've ended up needing a valve replacement, even though they didn't when they first came with their first baby, if you know what I mean, and the aorta stayed the same. Mm-hmm. So I think bicuspid aortic valve disease is a much more insidious thing. Um, vascular EDS, if we go to the opposite end, uh, ideally shouldn't be getting pregnant. The risk of uh, solid organ rupture of, of vessels without dilatation is always there and nobody wants to operate on them because the tissues are so friable. So we've only had one lady twice in our in our region who's actually done that. But uh, I was chatting to some colleagues in London this week who have got a very large cohort but again, they just tend not to get pregnant very often. And uh, they have a lot of obstetric issues as well with cervical incompetence, premature rupture of the membranes, early fetal loss and things like that. Um, the Louis Dietz uh, are a little bit different because initially we thought they were probably more aggressive than Marfan, but certainly many of our patients who um, have Louise Dietz were originally called Marfan because we didn't used to do so much genetic testing because it was very expensive. So, we find quite a lot of that. And there's certainly a, a phenotype of Louis Dietz facially that looks very like Marfan's. And then there's the, the typical Louis Dietz phenotype with the hypertelarism and so on. So, mm-hmm. there's a lot of um, phenotypic variation in the Louis Dietz, and and they're not all so concerning. So, Matt Caldwell, who's a colleague of mine in London, who's published quite a lot of papers on heart disease and pregnancy, published our UK series, and we didn't have any um, events with the Louis Dietz. But um, Louis Dietz, the threshold for referring is a little bit lower. So we were just talking about that earlier in one of our uh, surgical meetings. Uh, you can refer at 42 millimeters on TOE by the American guidelines, which are in 2010 now, so a little bit dated. Um, so the patient I was talking about was a, a woman who lost a son at age 22 and whose daughter had surgery during pregnancy and lost the baby because of a big aorta. And she turned out to be the proband and her sister died suddenly of aortic dissection and she's got a 40 millimeter aorta. So so when to refer those? So I must say, I I feel a little bit as though they should be referred a little bit earlier. If you you have a a pathogenic variant and a very aggressive disease and your aorta is dilated, you know, it's a fine balance between the risk of surgery and the risk of tearing. And I think if you want to get pregnant, I would be very, very nervous uh, about some of these patients. Mm-hmm. What we do see a lot of, which we haven't mentioned, is people with a family history of aortopathy, which is not syndromic. So hereditary thoracic aortopathy, not syndromic. And uh, it's very difficult to, this is probably a longer conversation than we have time for, to counsel them if they have a normal aorta and we don't know the gene, and um, what their risk is and whether they should be treated as high risk or not. And those are probably some of the things we see um, that are some of the most difficult conversations, actually.
0: Yeah, I bet. Uh, That's
1: not what you originally asked me. Was no. it? You originally <laughs> asked me about thresholds for surgery, and I went off on a complete tangent.
0: No, that was all very interesting and, and very useful. The and I going back to uh, as somewhat wrapping up, but going back to something you uh, touched on earlier was um, was IVF in some of these patients, and so I presume that it's the procedure itself of undergoing IVF is relatively safe, but it's the actual like carrying the baby in the pregnancy those are the areas in which that's at risk with those physiological changes related to that. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right with this condition. I mean, IVF, there's a couple of stages. One is the um, stimulation of the ovaries. So you can get ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which is very dangerous, but in Marfan's, it's not particularly any more so compared to, for example, some of our cardiomyopathy patients um, get a bit nervous about that. So that's not so much of a concern. And then there's the egg harvesting. So that's usually done under sedation or light anesthetic. And again, for the Marfan's patients, whereas some of our congenital patients, that is a big issue. Um, It's not really a concern. So the IVF process isn't a concern, but twins, uh, we don't like twins in high-risk cardiac scenarios because twins are high-risk anyway. So um, I did have one patient who had a 43-millimeter aorta who had twins by, I say by mistake, but by nature's, nature's beautiful mistake. Uh, both, both of them have Marfan's actually, um, but she was quite concerning. Um, but generally speaking, uh, yeah, it's, it's similar to, um, to other IVF patients.
0: Okay. And then this might be completely off topic, but I was wondering about the idea of surrogacy for some of these patients as well. And if that's ever something that comes up, you know, having the, another woman carry the pregnancy for a patient with one of these conditions.
1: Not really in this, I have to say. It's not something I've seen. I've seen it in many other scenarios where it's too high risk for the woman to carry the pregnancy. But Marfan's, it's not prohibitive to be pregnant. It's just high risk, whereas some women it is prohibitive. Um, Now, the the patient I was talking about who's has a very dilated descending aorta that I suggested that for, but I'd be equally concerned about her having um, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. But the problem with surrogacy is it's very expensive. it's not obviously provided on the NHS. And so that's quite often the reason why a lot of women don't do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay.
1: One thing we didn't talk about actually was Turner syndrome. And it's, uh, we talked a little bit about the scanning. Yeah. So Turner is the, the aortopathy and also in BAV, the aortopathy is typically ascending. And so you can't always see that on ECHO. And sometimes you do have to do more regular cross-sectional imaging, but I must say, although echo is not good at being very accurate for looking at the ascending aorta, and often you can only see it in systole when it kind of comes back into the frame, it's good for serial imaging. So as long as you're just comparing to what you measured before, um, it's usually fine.
0: Do you generally, given that discrepancy, do you generally do some type of cross-sectional imaging first to correlate and then follow with echocardiograms? After and
1: not, not during pregnancy, typically, because unless they've not had it done before. So I would do an MRI on someone during pregnancy if they hadn't had one in the last couple of years. But if okay. they'd had one in the last year, then I wouldn't I wouldn't do more.
0: Got it. Okay, very good. Um, I think this has been a very useful, interesting conversation. Any kind of concluding thoughts or ideas, impressions uh, about this area?
1: Um, not really. I think probably the f- most important thing for people to take away, which I said at the beginning, was just awareness. And um, I think uh, if if everyone, including midwives, ED people, and cardiologists, were were aware of these patients, I think you know we could save some of these lives uh, and women who dissect. Because I think the ones that already come to us are um, you know the, the chosen ones in a way that are much at lower risk. So it's really trying to identify the women outside of this this group
0: okay perfect well i appreciate your time and thank you so much dr curtis
1: thank you too